We are going to study the entire book of Exodus tonight. I usually preach about 40 minutes. There's 40 chapters in Exodus, so that's one minute per chapter. And so uh, we'll have to move along real quick. Some of the chapters I'll just uh, very closely highlight, very, uh, not say much about them at all. But uh, when I was with you last time, we were working our way through the book of Exodus, and the last uh, message that I had on that December uh, the 6th, back in 2019, was from chapter 32. And instead of picking up in chapter 33, if your memory is like mine, I'm not sure what I preached to two years ago, so I don't expect you to remember it either. So what I felt like I ought to do is just go back and start tonight and just kind of give an overview of the book of Exodus. And then next Wednesday night, what we're going to do is take point number one of your outline tonight and take those four chapters and go week by week that way. So I've got seven points for you tonight. I'm not in competition with Brother Steve to see how many points I can have in a message. It's just the way it seemed to work out uh, uh, to, uh, to divide this book. It is the story of redemption. And you noticed, as we sang tonight, all the songs were about redemption and what Jesus did for us. And again, thank you for choosing those wonderful songs. They lead right in to the uh, Word of God, to the message tonight. So we're talking about this. The title tonight is Exodus, the story of redemption. We sang about redemption. That is what the book of Exodus is about. It is about God redeeming his people, the Hebrew people, the Israelites, redeeming them, delivering them, bringing them out of slavery in Egypt. And so there's lots of other factors that to come to play in the book of Exodus. It is a wonderful book. There's lots of great passages to preach from. Uh, but tonight, what I'm going to try to do is uh, hit a few of the highlights in these chapters. So if you have your outline handy now, let me just go ahead and give you point number one. It's what I typically do as I work through a passage. I'll give you the point, and then we'll talk about it. Point number one, the enslaved and their deliverer. So the fill-in-the-blank word there is enslaved. The enslaved and their deliverer. Now, there are several characters in the book of Exodus. The hero in the book of Exodus is the Lord God. I don't know what name may have come to your mind when I started saying that. It might have been Moses, and God certainly used Moses in a powerful way. But the real hero in the book of Exodus is the Lord God. He used a man named Moses, and we'll talk about him tonight and all throughout the book of Exodus, basically. But God is the hero. Then you've got Moses a man that God raised up to deliver his people out of Egypt. You've got the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and he plays a vital role in the early part of the book of Exodus. You've also got the children of Israel, and they are the ones who are delivered, and those are the main characters in the book. Now, there are some others that we'll look at uh, as we go through, but those are the main characters in the book. So we're talking, first of all, about the enslaved. And who are the enslaved and why are they enslaved? The enslaved are the children, the descendants of Jacob. You remember Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons. Uh, the 11th of those 12 sons was named Joseph. His brothers didn't like him. They sold him off to some Midianites who were traveling to Egypt. He ended up becoming the second most powerful person in all of Egypt. He eventually brought his family down from Israel, where there was a famine. 
And so the Bible tells us in these opening verses of the book of Exodus, if you will, look down at chapter 1 and verse uh, 6, and uh, Joseph died, all his brothers and all that generation, but the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly, multiplied and, ex- and grew exceedingly mighty, and the land was filled with them. Well, how many did they start with? They started with 70. Look, look back up at verse 5. And those who were the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. 66 came with Jacob at the time he came. Uh, Joseph and his family were already there, of course. So 70 people started out. And from 70 people, 400 years before this, now there is approximately there are approximately 2 million people who are the descendants of Jacob. So the Israelites are getting uh, really uh, blessed by having lots and lots of children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. And all the while, they are increasing in number. The Egyptians are getting more and more nervous. They're saying, these Israelites are becoming too many. They're too powerful for us. And if we go to war with another nation, they're liable to join forces with that other nation to come against us. And so the Pharaoh who sat on the throne, did not know anything about Joseph. It had been many years since Joseph had died. And so he says, we've got to do something about these Hebrews. So they enslaved them. They made them do all kinds of manual labor, enslaving them, treated them harshly and bitterly. Um, In fact, if you will, look at verse 14 of chapter 1. And they made their lives bitter with hard bondage. So as years go on, they continue having children, but they're, they're working their fingers to the bone. The Egyptians are mistreating them. The Hebrews uh, are becoming more and more prolific. They are the ones who are enslaved, but now who does God use to deliver them? A man named Moses. We are introduced to Moses in chapter 2 of Exodus, and we see that uh, he is a Hebrew who was born to Hebrew parents, Amram and Jochebed, we're told over in chapter 6, are the names of his parents. They have this fine baby boy, and his mother sees that he is a proper, wonderful son. The Pharaoh had said all the boys are to be put to death as soon as they're born. Well, this mother, of course, didn't want to see that happen to her son, so she made a little basket for him, put him down in the Nile River, right where the Pharaoh's daughter would come, on a routine basis and bathe. She went there that day, heard baby Moses crying, and took him into her own house uh, to be raised in the house of Pharaoh. Moses' sister Miriam was standing nearby and said, would you like me to get a nurse from the Hebrews? She said, sure. So, of course, you know the story. Miriam went and got their mother, who came and then nursed Moses from the time he was an infant on. And so God provided this deliverer, this man named Moses, who came at just the right time. He was born, he he was raised then in the house of Pharaoh until he was 40 years old. And then he had a great great idea that he would try to deliver the Egyptians, the, the Hebrews, out of Egypt. It didn't work too good the first time. And so God then sends him out. He runs away from Egypt, ends up in a place called Midian. And there becomes a shepherd, the husband 
uh, of, a, of the priest, the high priest of Midian, and he's keeping his sheep one day out uh, in the field and on the mountain called Horeb, which is also known as Sinai. So Moses is keeping his father-in-law's sheep on this mountain called Sinai when one day he looks across the way and sees a bush that is burning. It's nothing unusual about a burning bush in that part of the world. What was unusual, though, was that it was not being burned up. It was not being consumed. So Moses says, I need to go check that out. He goes over there, and you know the story. God speaks to him out of that bush and calls him to do a special work. He said, I want you to go back to Egypt, and I want you to deliver my people from Egyptian slavery. Moses had all kinds of reasons that he couldn't do it, all kinds of excuses, but God would not let him off the hook. And so eventually, Moses goes back to Egypt for the purpose of delivering God's people, the Hebrews, out of Egyptian slavery. So that's the first point in your outline. Point number one, the enslaved, who are the Hebrews, and the deliverer, ultimately God, but Moses is the man that God uses to deliver him. Now then, point number two in your outline. See, if I do all these that fast, we're going to get through this, aren't we? Point number two in your outline is this, the plagues, the Passover, and the Exodus. So the two fill-in-the-blank words there are Passover and Exodus. The plagues, the Passover, and the Exodus. And that begins in chapter 5, and we'll go all the way into and through chapter 12. All right, so what happened here when Moses goes back to Egypt? God sends his brother Aaron to go with him because one of the things that Moses said that he could not do was speak publicly. He said, Lord, uh, you know, I, can't, I don't speak well. And so God said, okay. I'll send Aaron with you, and he can be your spokesman. I'll tell you what I want him to say. You tell him, and he talks to Pharaoh. So they go in and try it, and uh, didn't really work too good the first time. Chapters 5 and 6 give us the first time that Moses and Aaron go in to visit Pharaoh. Let's look at uh, verse 1 of chapter 5. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh... Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. So they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go three days' journey into the desert and sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. Then the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people from their work? Get back to your labor. And Pharaoh said, Lord, look. Uh, and Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are many now, and you make them rest from their labor. So the same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their officers, saying, you shall no longer give the people straw to make brick, as before, let them go and gather straw for themselves, and you shall lay on them the quota of bricks which they made before. You shall not reduce it, 
for they are idle. Therefore they cry out, saying, Let us go and sacrifice to our God. Let more work be laid on the men, that they may labor in it, and let them not regard false words. Well, you see what happens here is not a good result. Moses and Aaron had gone to the Hebrew people. They said, God has called me to be your deliverer, to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And when they heard the report from Moses that he had met with God and this was what he was going to do, they were excited. They actually bowed their heads in worship. That's at the end of chapter 4. So then Moses and Aaron, they go in to see Pharaoh and say, uh, Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says, let my people go. Pharaoh says, who are you talking about? I've never heard of the Lord. Who is he? I'm the king around here, and what I say goes. So he said, you're wanting your people to go because they're lazy. They don't want to work. i tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to make them do more work. And I'm not going to give them any tools for them to do their work. They've got to go get their own straw and so on. So Moses and Aaron received the wrath of the people because not only were they not delivered, their lives were becoming even more miserable and hard. So their first attempt was not a successful one. But then let's go on over to chapter 7, because here is where uh, they go back in to see uh, Pharaoh again. And so we read in chapter 1, chapter 7, verse 1. So the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you as God to Pharaoh, and Aaron your brother shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and Aaron your brother shall tell Pharaoh to send the children of Israel out of his land. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and my wonders in the lands of Egypt, but Pharaoh will not heed you, so that I may lay my hand on Egypt and bring my armies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgments. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. So Moses and Aaron did exactly what they were commanded to do. They uh, went to him. The scripture here says in verse 7, Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. So this is the scene. They're going back now to repeat the same thing that they said before. And God said ahead of time, now look, you're going to say this to Pharaoh, but he's not going to let you go. I'm going to harden his heart, and he's going to harden his own heart, but I'm going to show him the power of the one true and living God. So the next several chapters, we have the unfolding of the ten plagues that God sent on uh, the Egyptians, on the house of Pharaoh, and the Egyptians while protecting the Hebrew people from these same plagues. God was showing his power to deliver judgment upon one people, while showing mercy on another. These ten plagues were designed by God for specific reasons. The Egyptians were great idolaters. They had a God for everything you could think of and a lot you couldn't think of. What God did when he sent the plagues was this. Every plague that he sent was a direct confrontation and victory over a false god of the Egyptians. And when we get to that point in the scripture, later on this fall, I will show that to you and give you those 
those, the names of those false gods and what God was doing by sending those plagues. The first one was a plague of blood in the water. The tenth one was a plague of death throughout all the land of Egypt. And they, the plagues got worse as they went along. The first one was blood in the water, and the people couldn't drink the water, but nobody died from it. Uh, it was inconvenient and gross. You know, when you're going out to look at water and you think you're going to get a drink of water or take a, take a bath in a stream, and it's not water, it's blood, you know, people have a bad reaction a lot of times to seeing blood. So that was a, that was a bad plague, but they got worse and worse until the last one came along, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt including in the land in the, among the people of the Hebrews had they not done what they were supposed to do. In every family in Egypt, there was death. The death of the firstborn uh, son, the death of the firstborn animal, in the house and out in the barn, uh, wherever it was. In Egypt, among the Egyptians, there reigned death until finally that was the last straw. And Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron into his presence and said, I can't take this anymore. Go, take your people, and leave Egypt right now. So that's the plagues. But we're going to look now in chapter 12 at the Passover. God protected his people during this time that death reigned in Egypt. How did he do that? Here's what he did. Let's look in chapter 12. And let's look, starting at verse 1. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. In other words, what I'm about to do is so significant that it's going to change your calendar. This is the first month now for you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month, Every man shall take for himself a lamb according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him, in, let him and his neighbor next to him take a lamb. Verse 5, your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now you shall keep it safe uh, with you until the 14th day. Then the whole congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight they shall take some of the blood and put on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat it. They shall eat the flesh of that uh, sacrifice that night, roasted in fire with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Don't eat it raw or boiled, but roasted in fire. Also, verse 10, you shall let none of it remain until morning. Verse 11, thus you shall eat it with a belt on your waist, with your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, so you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Here's what God is saying to his people. He is saying to them, death is going to come to Egypt, but I'm going to save you. I'm going to redeem you. What I'm going to do in order to redeem you is require the blood of an innocent animal. We see here God again enforcing in the scripture the principle and the truth that in order for forgiveness to happen, in order for redemption to happen, blood has to be shed. You can go back all the way to the Garden of Eden 
where Adam and Eve had two sons, Cain and Abel. And when Adam and Eve sinned, before they left the garden and before they had those sons, they sinned. And because of that sin, an animal had to be slain. The blood had to be shed in order for their sin to be covered. And so God, from that very first moment uh, in the Garden of Eden, laid down the principle of uh, death. Sin brings death. But God, in His mercy, through the shed blood of an innocent party, will bring salvation to all who trust in Him. So He said to His people, what you've got to do is get a lamb, and there were specific requirements about the lamb, on the 14th day of the month, slay the lamb, pour the blood out, take some of the blood, and place it on each side of the door, on the doorpost going into your house, and on the lintel. And, and that night, when it's time to eat supper, you will have roasted that lamb, you're going to eat that lamb, you're going to be standing up when you eat it, you're going to have everything packed and ready to go, you're going to eat this Passover meal because I'm going to pass through the land of Egypt on this night. And every house that does not have the blood applied, death will visit that house. But wherever there's blood that has been applied, those inside that house will be kept safe. And so let's look again at verse 11. And thus you shall eat it with a belt on your waist, with your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, so shall you eat it in haste. In other words, get ready to move because I am, I am doing something tonight. It is the Lord's Passover, for I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. That's why, of course, it's called Passover. And we still have Passover even to this day observed among, our, among the Jewish people. But we observe it as well in that it is the night that Jesus observed the Passover with his disciples in the upper room and instituted a new covenant saying to them, Take this bread, this bread is my body that's broken for you. Take this cup, this cup is my blood of the new covenant. So even as blood was shed here in Exodus chapter 12, an innocent lamb, was, its blood was shed so that others could live. So Jesus is saying in the upper room with his disciples, I'm giving you my blood. I'm about to shed my blood. I am innocent. Jesus was sinless, yet he was the substitute for our sins. When he went to that cross, he died in our place on that cross, being our substitute so that you and I could receive the forgiveness and the redemption, not just from an earthly power, but from a heavenly perspective. You and I have been delivered from sin. We've been delivered from uh, eternal death. We've been delivered from the power of Satan. God, in his mercy and grace, in the Passover, was showing us what he was going to do 2,000 years ago. For them, it was many thousands years ahead. But for us, 2,000 years ago, we tonight are the beneficiaries because Jesus, the Lamb of God, shed his blood on that cross 2,000 years ago. And you see the picture of it here in Exodus chapter 12. Now, 
Let's look at verse 29 of chapter 12. And it came to pass at midnight that the Lord struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, that the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of livestock. So Pharaoh rose in the night, he and his servants, and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where there was no, not one dead. Verse 31, then he called, and this part is the Exodus. Uh, this is where they're actually going out of Egypt. Then he called for Moses and Aaron by night and said, Rise, go out from among my people, both you and the children of Israel, and go, serve the Lord as you have said. Also take your flocks and your herds, as you have said, and be gone. And that's, he's telling them to exit. Go and bless me also. Isn't that incredible? Here's this pagan king who realizes that he has really indeed met his match. That the one true and living God of heaven, the Lord God that Moses and Aaron had represented before him, who said, thus says the Lord, let my people go. Finally, Pharaoh is convinced that that God had the power to make Pharaoh let God's people go. Recognizing that, he said to Moses, before you go, bless me also. And then, look at verse 33. And the Egyptians urged the people that they might send them out of the land in haste. For they said, we, are, we shall all be dead. <laughs> they were all afraid that they were going to die. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, having their kneading bowls and so on. Look at verse 36. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they granted them what they requested. They received silver and gold and all that, verse 35 tells us. Then the children of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot besides children. So that's where, when I began the message, I said there were about 2 million Hebrews. That's where you get the number 600,000 men besides the children and women. He had all those in and approximately 2 million people. So they, they went, and then it says here that the sojourn, verse 40, of the children of Israel who lived in Egypt for four, was 430 years, and it came to pass at the end of the 430 years, on that very same day, it came to pass that all the armies of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It is a night of solemn observance to the Lord for bringing them out of the land of Egypt, this is that night of the Lord, a solemn observance for all the children of Israel throughout their generations. And he repeats the same thing again, basically, in verses 50 and 51. So here's what you have in the first 12 chapters of the book of Exodus. You've got the people of God, the Hebrews, in Egyptian bondage, crying out to God. Their lives are bitter. They don't know what they're going to do from day to day. And just when things seem to get as bad as they could get, God sends them a deliverer. God raises up a man named Moses. He calls him. He equips him. He sends him. Moses obeys the Lord finally. And when he does, God shows his power to this pagan king and the people of Egypt, demonstrating to them all that there is a God in Israel. 
And he is not just the God of the Hebrews. He is the God of all power. He is the God of this universe. And what he says, he has power to perform it. So God has delivered his people. Now, what are they going to do now? They've been slaves for hundreds of years. Now they're not slaves anymore. Now they're out of Egypt. They're on their way out of Egypt. And they've got to figure out how to live. They've got to figure out what to do. Because all they've ever known is somebody else telling them what to do, the Egyptians. So what do they do? Well, let's look now at uh, point number three in your outline. Wow, point number two took a while, didn't it? (laughs) Point number three. Point number three, the firstborn and the freedom. The firstborn and the freedom. Now, chapter 13, I'm just going to say a couple of words about this right now. We'll come back to it later on. Look at chapter one and, uh, chapter, verse 1 in chapter 13. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Consecrate to me all the firstborn. Why does he say that? Skip over to verse 12 in the same chapter. After they get into the land of Canaan, this is going to be many years after that, that you shall set apart to the Lord all that open the womb, that is, every firstborn that comes from an animal which you have, The males shall be the Lord's. But every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. And if you will not redeem it, then you shall break its neck. And all the firstborn of men or of man among your sons you shall redeem. That seems like a strange place to put this because the people have just come out of Egypt. But then the next chapter, what we see is God telling Moses about the firstborn. And why is this important for the uh, Hebrew people to know? Well, if you want to, we won't turn to it tonight, but if you want to write this reference down, write down uh, Exodus chapter 4, verses 22 and 23. We'll look at it later, sometime in the next few weeks. But here, God says, Israel is my firstborn. Egypt did not take care of my firstborn son. And because of that, I required the death of their firstborn son. So as a way of remembering the importance of the firstborn, God said, every firstborn, when you get to the land of Canaan, you have to redeem it. Now, if it was a a boy, a baby boy, then they were to pay money Uh, or give another kind of animal to redeem it. That is to buy that son back from the Lord. God says that is mine. The firstborn is mine, but you can keep him because you will redeem him. But if it's a donkey, he says, redeem it with a lamb. And if it was um, another kind of animal, they were to be put to death because uh, they were God's, it was a recognition of God's power in their life and his ownership of them. Now, that's the first part of chapter 13. Now, let's go uh, down to verse 17, and let's look at this for a few moments, because uh, chapter 13, starting right here, to the end of chapter 14, we're going to see the crossing of the Red Sea. So why did the Israelites have to cross the Red Sea? There's a very good reason for it. Look at verse 17. Then it came to pass, when Pharaoh had let the people go, that God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. 
If you know the map of Egypt and Sinai and Israel, the quickest way to get from Egypt to Israel would have been to go straight right around the Mediterranean Sea. But the Philistines lived in that part. And God said, if they go there, they're not used to being warriors. They don't know how to fight. If they go there, the Philistines are men of war, and they might get afraid and go back to Egypt. So God led them in a different path. Let's look what he says about it. Um, Lest, in the middle of verse 17, lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. And the children of Israel went up in orderly ranks out of the land of Egypt. Now skip down to chapter 14 and verse 1. Now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel that they turn and camp uh, before Pahahirath uh, between Migdal and the sea opposite Baal Zephon. You shall camp before it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say to the children of Israel, They are bewildered by the land. The wilderness has closed them in. Then I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them. And I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. So what happens? God sends them not the quickest way to Israel, but another way down south so that they will have to cross the Red Sea to get out of Egypt and to get away from Pharaoh and his army. They eventually get to the spot where they need to go. Pharaoh's army is behind them. The Red Sea is in front of them. And what do God's people start to do? Complain. Now, have you ever known one of God's people to complain? Well, this wasn't the first time that they'd ever complained, and it's not going to be the last time. We'll see it over and over again in the book of Exodus. In fact, it's interesting as you study the book of Exodus, the number 10 appears quite often. You've got 10 plagues, you've got 10 commandments, and you've also got 10 times that the Israelites, the Hebrew people, were complaining against God about something. So, Look at verse 11. They start to complain. They said to Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you done so? Why have you dealt with us? In other words, we could have died in Egypt. If you're just going to put, bring us out here, Pharaoh's going to kill us, his army's there, or we're going to drown in the Red Sea. Moses, come on. What are you up to? So Moses said to the people, Don't be afraid. Stand still. God's going to intervene for you. Verse 13. The Lord will fight for you, verse 14. Just be quiet. (laughs) I like that. Verse 14. The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. That means be quiet. Stop talking. And the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. Now, where will they go if they go forward? Into the Red Sea. Now, does that make any sense? Well, not to the natural man, but to those who have faith, It makes all the sense. The Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell them to move forward. Lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And you know the rest of the story. That's exactly what happened. Moses raises the rod of God. God sends an east wind. The sea 
separates, it, it divides, and the, and the wind blows, the uh, bottom of the sea dries out, the children of Israel start walking across the bottom of the, dead, the Red Sea while the waves and the, the water is held back by the power of God so that the people of God can walk through from where they are across the Red Sea, on the, on the bottom of the Red Sea. They get over there, and by the time all of them get across, remember it's two million, so it's going to take a while for them to get across. By the time they get there, Pharaoh's army is hot on their trail. So they turn around and look, and now they're scared again. And they say, what's going to happen to us? Pharaoh is right behind us. God said, Moses, do not fear Pharaoh and his army. I'm going to show my glory over them right now. Hold up your rod again. He did, and the Egyptian army was in the Red Sea on the bottom there trying to get across. The waters came back and drowned Pharaoh and his soldiers and the horses and all of those who were with Pharaoh. And that day, God won a great victory. That is the freedom. That was the the thing that enabled them to know, yes, we are not only out of Egypt, but we are free from the control of the Egyptian people and the Egyptian Pharaoh. So what did they do? They had a party. They said, this is celebration time. Chapter 15 is all about them, at least the first part of it, singing and praising God. Look at verse 1 of chapter 15. Moses and the children of Israel sang the song, this song to the Lord and spoke, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Eleven times in these few verses, you find the word Lord, which is God's proper name, Yahweh or Jehovah. And then look at verse 18. The Lord shall reign forever and ever. All right, that's point number three. Point number four, I've got to hurry now. I've been hurrying all along, but it hadn't helped too much. Point number four, the provision and the covenant. I want to give you these points, even if I don't get through much of it. The provision and the covenant. As I said a moment ago, the people needed to learn how to live. How were they going to get water and bread and food to eat? Well, God was going to provide it. And we find here at the end of chapter 15, on into chapter 16, God provides water and bread called manna and meat, uh, quail, and water again. Then when you get into chapter 17, verse 8, he provides victory over an enemy called the Amalekites. And then as you get uh, on further, uh, in chapter 18, you have Jethro giving Moses some uh, advice about how to handle the people. But chapter 19 is where I want to spend just a moment. Because here is the covenant. Here is where God establishes the covenant with his people. Look at verse 1 of chapter 19. In the third month after the children of Israel had gone out. And that, by the way, is where the word exodus is in the book of Exodus. Gone out. It's a word which means to leave or depart. When they had gone out of the land of Egypt. On the same day, they came to the wilderness of Sinai or Horeb. And they departed from Rephidim and so on. Let's look now at verse 4. This is what 
uh, is spoken here. For you have seen what I did, this is God speaking, to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people. All the earth is mine. So he's speaking there to them about a covenant. And then when you get to chapter 20, you've got the Ten Commandments. And uh, chapters 21, 22, and 23 are additional commandments and laws. And chapter all the way over to chapter uh, 24. And um, you have some additional uh, uh, verses here about the covenant. If you will look at chapter 24, verse 7. Moses took the book of the covenant and read in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has said we will do and be obedient. And Moses took the blood, sprinkled it on the people, and said, this is the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you according to all these words. So here is where they agreed, they ratified, they confirmed the covenant that God made with them. Yes, Lord, we've heard the Ten Commandments. We've heard these other laws. We will keep them, and we agree with this covenant. Now then, chapter, let me just give you the last points, and I don't really have time to cover any of it. So let me give you point number five. It's chapters 25 through 31. That's the tabernacle and the priesthood. The tabernacle and the priesthood is point five. Point number six, the covenant broken and the covenant renewed. Point six, the covenant broken and the covenant renewed. And point number seven, the tabernacle built and the glory revealed. Tabernacle built and glory revealed.